Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. I want to begin by reading a portion of Scripture that not only speaks to uh, who we are as the body of Christ, but it also tells us where our focus should be, especially when we start to consider the day and the time we are living in. So if you can, let's read Revelation chapter 19, verses 4 through 9. It says, And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. It says, And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad, and give the glory to Him. Now why are they saying, let's give glory to Him? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has prepared herself. I want to say that again. And His bride has prepared herself. And then it says in verse 8, It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. With this portion of Scripture in mind, I want to encourage all of us to uh, remember that throughout the Bible, God portrays or identifies Himself as a bridegroom to His people. We see that in the book of Hosea. We also see it in Song of Solomon. And you see, it's through this relationship, or we could even say through this identification, God has constantly revealed Himself as the one who is faithful, the one who is loving and committed to the covenant He has made with His bride through the ages. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, who in the world is the bride of Christ? I think you have no clue who that is. The bride of Christ consists of every single person who has ever truly accepted the gift of salvation that Jesus provided for us through the death, burial, and resurrection. So with that kind of in your mind, obviously we know that the Bible tells us many things about who we are in Christ. For example, we know that uh, through Jesus, we're God's children. We know that we're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We know that we are God's special possession. We know that he calls us kings and priests, that we're the salt and the light of the world. But I just believe, and I'm trying to tell you today, that I just uh, think that in the hour we're living in, we cannot forget or lose sight of the equal part of our identity, which is this, is we are the bride of Christ. Now... As we look, you know, in that prophetic timeline that we've been talking about lately, I want us to see what the bride is called to do or what the bride is called to focus on as she eagerly waits for that wonderful day. In other words, what are we supposed to do as we wait for that day that's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb? If we can, hit the rewind button and go back to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. The answer is found in that verse. And it tells us this. It says, His bride has prepared. His bride has prepared or made herself ready for that day. So with that thought just kind of hanging in the air today, I just want to ask you point blank. Are you currently preparing yourself for that glorious day? 
See, because if we realize it or not, the Bible actually tells us what kind of bride he desires for us to be in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this in verse 25. He said, Christ loved the church, that's us, and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify or he might set her apart from the world, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So what was the purpose of him setting us apart? What was the purpose of him washing us with the water of his word? It says, so that he might present the church or his bride to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. See, if I could add to that, the words without spot or wrinkle, they also mean this when you look at the Greek language. They mean, they mean actually that God wants to present a bride to himself that is glorious, that is radiant, that is gorgeous, that is honorable, that's esteemed, that's splendid. And my favorite part of this definition, and basically that she would be infused with glory. So I want to ask you again. Are we currently preparing ourselves to not to be some raggedy bride, but are we preparing ourselves to be that kind of bride for our soon coming king? So let's shift gears for a minute, because I feel really compelled to tell you today that when we look at this portion of scripture, scripture, especially when we begin to consider what it means for him to present to himself a spotless bride, please hear what I'm saying here. That in, in spite of the rapid increase or the rapid growth that we've seen as a nation in the uh, buying of self-help and self-improved uh, improvement books, the reality is, guys, is we can't change ourselves. Right? Like God is the only one who can permanently change our hearts. He's the only one that can come in and permanently change our thinking or permanently change our passions. Now, I don't know what runs to your mind when you hear that, but I don't want you to misunderstand me because what I'm not saying is, is that all we have to do is say a quick prayer, ah, Jesus changed me, and we sit back and relax and don't think there's anything that we have to do, and it just happens. I want you to know if you're sitting here today and you're thinking that's how it works, that's foolish thinking, right? Because we've got to understand that on while on one hand that it's true that God is the only one that can change us. On the other hand, it is also equally true that He has given us a free will to either resist or to comply with the transformation process, or maybe we can say in light of what we're talking about today, the preparation process that he uses to bring about the eternal change in his bride. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. Now listen, if you and I are aware of it or not, the Bible actually gives us a glimpse uh, into this refining process. And we actually find it in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. I want to read it to you today. It says this, it says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Do we remember he's coming back, guys? Yes. yes, we do. And then it says this, for he is like a refiner's fire. Can somebody say refiner's fire? Refiner's fire. He is like a refiner's fire and like a launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Or we can say that he will purify his sons and daughters. And then it says he will purge them as gold and silver. Now, this portion of Scripture makes it pretty obvious that God will use a, a refiner's fire, if you will, in our lives to bring about, once again, the transformation or the preparation process that He desires to see in our lives. Now, with that in mind, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Malachi uh, did not say that God is like a forest fire that burns out of control and burns everything up in its path. 
Uh, he didn't say that, right? And, and why I'm saying that is because a lot of times when we start hearing something about a refiner's fire, it's easy to get, uh, get intimidated or scared. And I want you to know, you don't need to be scared today. God's not a destructive God. He's not out to destroy your life. He's a good dad, right? And so rather we understand that Malachi deliberately wrote, God is like a refiner's fire. Now, here's the difference really between the two. Because when a refiner, and I'm sure you've seen a blacksmith at work before, but when a refiner actually places a piece of, of precious gold or precious silver into a fiery furnace, his goal isn't to destroy the metal. Rather, it is his intention to use that extreme heat that's found in that furnace to melt down the metal into a liquid form. And as it melts, something very unique begins to happen. This thing, this substance called the dross, which actually consists of the impurities, the sediment, the unwanted matter that's found in the metal, which actually we all know decreases the metal's value, actually begins to separate from the gold or silver. And so the, the weighty stuff, we'll say this stuff that matters, begins to sink to the bottom. And the other stuff that doesn't begins to rise to the top where it is either burned up by the fire or is physically removed by the refiner. So... If you can kind of get in your head today, get in your heart, that as you can expect, the fiery process in turn leaves this precious or this treasure metal pure, or we could even say uh, with less blemishes than it had before it endured the fire. And so I'm just saying likewise, guess what? That's a great picture of what God's trying to do in us in this life as we walk with Him. That He's trying to bring us into a place, guess what, where we are being purified and we're in that purification process. We actually become more like Him. It's called this word. It's called holy. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So let's shift gears one more time. What I want to do is I actually want to Look today, I'm sure there's many ways, but I want to look at one of the ways God uses this refining process to work in our lives. Now, when I share this, I want you to see that it's twofold, okay? It's twofold, but please take note that uh, both of the twofolds fall under one category. And it's a category that I think uh, so often we, the church, ignore. We run from it, right? We, it's called this. It's called prayer. Now, now, I'm not talking about the type of prayer that you pray quickly before you shove a piece of chicken in your mouth. Okay? Or, or the quick thing that you throw up before you run out the house. No, no, I'm talking about real prayer. Right? So let's look quickly at the first part. And here's why. Because when we're the kind of believer who desires to prepare, once again, ourselves as part of the bride of Christ, I think when you have that kind of mentality, it is impossible to view prayer as some box that you check throughout the day. It's impossible to act like God is some genie in a bottle. It's impossible to act like God is some wishing well that we just toss a prayer into and voila, we get what we want. Right? Instead, when you have a heart that desires to be the bride of Christ, desire to be spot, you know, without spot or blemish, Instead, you begin to view prayer as the secret place where you go meet with God. And see, it's among many things in that secret place. But the main thing is, guess what? That's where you begin to take an honest, spiritual inventory of your own heart. If I can say it this way, at least for this guy, that's where I go to, to calibrate my soul. Yeah. See, it's just as... Uh, you know, the psalmist said about the secret place in Psalm 77. He said this, it's there that my spirit ponders or makes diligent search. What's it making diligent search of, guys? It's called our hearts, right? So, so listen, the first step in this refining process happens when you and when I work up the courage to actually pray the prayer that we find in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24. 
All throughout the Bible, there's loads of prayers, but I have to tell you, this is probably one of my favorites. It says this. We know this was David talking. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Put anything in me or point out anything in me that offends you. Can I pause there for a second? Notice didn't, David didn't say, point out anything that offends my mom, or offends my dad, or offends my brothers, or offends my, offends my best friend, or, or offends the society. No, 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 God. Point out anything that offends you. There's such a big difference, guys. So point out anything that offends you, and he says, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So in light of what we're talking about today, if I can put this prayer a little bit different, it would be this. It would be this, put me in your refiner's fire and search me, O God. Right, like turn up the heat, know my heart, allow all the dross that's in my heart and my actions and my attitude and my behavior that's in my character. God, let all that junk rise to the surface so somehow in my small comprehension, guess what? I can begin to see all the junk that's really in my life. See, if we want to admit it or not, there's more junk in us than we realize. Amen? So if you're taking notes, the first part of being uh, in the refiner's fire consists of, number one, the searching process. The searching process. This is so simple. But I want you to remember today, and I've told you this before, when it comes to the searching process, uh, it, it, it has nothing to do with somehow where we kind of come and we go, okay, God, I now give you permission to see what's in my life. Okay, now, God, you can search me, and now, God, you can look around and see if you can find anything in there. Uh, Newsflash, he's the God that knows everything. He's the all-knowing God. He already knows what's in us, right? So, so when it comes to this idea of searching, what it's really about is you and I having the courage to posture our hearts in, our, in a place where we actually get quiet for a moment, we get away from all the distractions of life, and we posture ourselves in such a way that we ask God to come and shine His holiness on our lack thereof. To ask Him to come shine His righteousness where, where we're lacking righteousness. Where Him to come shine His purity on our impurity. Right, that's there. We have to say, say, God, please come shine your light so that I can see the dross that's in my life. So let me give you an example of this, and this may sound really simple, but but I want you to kind of see how this process works because. Recently, I was in my, in my living room, uh, you know, my wife and my 3,027 kids, they, they decided to go somewhere for the day, and, and I was uh, home alone, and I said, okay, I get to, I, man, I'm going to get some time, man, it's quiet, I, I can pray, and I can worship Jesus for a bit, and there's some things I was like, God, I really need to hear you on today. And so I began to pray, and I wasn't praying that, that long, and, and I actually had a, God gave me a glimpse of this conversation that I had not too long ago with an individual. And, and, he, and he showed me quickly that in that conversation, that even though it was my intent to help the other individual, instead of helping them, I had actually offended them. This is key part by the words that I chose, not the ones he gave me, but the words that I chose to use in that conversation. And in that same moment when I was praying uh, the verse to kind of bring context to what he was saying, it's, it was more of an impression than anything. It, it was from, from the words of Jesus that's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. I'll read it to you. This is where the, the conversation and the verse that came with it in an instant. Here's the verse. It says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple. Now remember, what was I doing? I was praying and I was worshiping Jesus, right? 
He says this, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. In other words, that you've offended somebody. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Let me put it to you like this. How many of you guys know it's a humbling thing when you're trying to come and hear from God and you're trying to worship and God basically says this, Hey, Jack, you need to stop. Look, I'm not going to hear anything you say. I'm not going to hear a prayer you pray. I'm not going to receive a bit of the worship that you're trying to give me at this moment until you actually go get it right with that other person. That's humbling. Right? And I'll just say this. It's like, uh, man, once again, do you really think that God was bringing that up so he could see it or so I could see it? Try and drive that point home. Without a doubt, he brought it up, uh, you know, to my attention so I could see the dross, once again, the impurities in my own heart. Now, here's the harsh reality in that moment. Uh, God didn't bring that situation up to me to show me the other person's problem. Right? Like, nowhere in that conversation with God did he say, you know, Quentin, I cannot believe that that person got offended by what you said. He, you know, he didn't say that. It wasn't the case at all. He brought it up to show me what? That it wasn't... That individual's problem, it was my problem. Which was this, and here's the problem where God rebuked me, is, is that I was so overly concerned with being right. Have you ever had those discussions? L listen, that I was, that, because I want to be right so much, I was blinded to the fact that I was valuing my ability to discern and to know and to be able to process situation. In other words, to be right above the things that I saw over having unity with a fellow believer in Christ. Are you with me? In other words, I'd rather, I'd rather win in the conversation, be right in the conversation, than operate in love and unity. Now, here's the embarrassing part about all this. It's like so many other people, and maybe not you, it's probably the person sitting next to you. But listen, when God points out their sin, what, what, what do we do so often? This is what I did. It is in my flesh, I want to justify my words and my actions. Right? I wanted to convince God that he was mistaken, that it was the other person's problem, right? Not mine, that he needed to go on down the road and he needed to talk to him instead. Y'all have never done that. Look, needless to say, I don't know if you've ever been in that spot with God, but that's not an argument you're going to win. Like that is absolutely, utterly useless to try to go there. Because I already knew as soon as I wanted to defend myself that guess what? God wasn't going to let me off the hook until I got my heart right and until I obeyed His Word that He was telling me to do. So I, you know, just in response, you can kind of get the full picture. I immediately sat down and reached out to the other individual and I just said, hey man, here's what God showed me. Right? And I asked them to please forgive me for any offense that I caused, that it was never my intent to hurt them. And, and you know, I didn't try to justify anything. I didn't try to prove a point again. Uh, I simply humbled myself and I asked for forgiveness. Because I truly know at that moment, the most important thing was this, is was Quentin willing to obey? Right? Was I willing to obey what he was saying? Was I willing to surrender and submit to the Holy Ghost in that moment and just go, you're right, I'm wrong I'll do what you asked me to do. And guess what? Once you get to that point, the results and the outcome, it's really up to Him. Yeah. Right? It's up to God. God's got to handle it from there. So, so once again, why do you think God was trying, to, uh, was trying to do in my life with this prompting or with this impression? Uh, you know, there's probably several things, but there's one thing that sticks out to me the most, and I want to share it with you, and it's this. It is without me even being aware of it at the time, I honestly believe that He, because He's a gracious God, He's a merciful God, that He was trying to bring me to the second part of this twofold process that we call the refining process. Now, remember that 
once again, the first one comes under the category of prayer, and so does the second one. And the second one is this. Number two is the process of repentance. The process of repentance. Now, before I jump off into this, into this part of the process, let me, let me first say this. And some of you guys may disagree with me in here, and if you disagree, that's fine. You, you have a right to your own opinion. But, but in my opinion, when it comes to the Church of America, it would appear like we've not only lost our willingness to actually humble ourselves and say, Oh God, search me and know me, but we've also lost the value of genuine repentance, not only in our personal lives, but also in the corporate gatherings that we have. And I'll say this, gang, it is my opinion that we are guilty of devaluing the significance and the power of repentance in our lives. Here's the key, all in the name of grace. So, I, you know, I don't want you to get me wrong today because, I, you know, for you guys that don't know me, I'm not a legalistic person. So, listen, but... But like you guys, I am eternally grateful for all the biblical truths that we find in the Word that speaks to our identity in Christ. It talks about God's unconditional love for us, all the teachings on sonship, right? And even His grace towards us. But, please hear this, but if those truths aren't uh, brought into balance, if there's not that necessary tension concerning the truths that surround surrender and obedience and God's holiness and the fear of God and the eternal judgments of God, we will never be healthy, we will never be mature, and we will never become the bride of Christ that He wants us to be. Y'all awake? Like I said, I'm not legalistic, but I'm just, I'm just kind of maybe waiting for the day that someone in the church can actually stand up and tell me how in the world we will ever become that spotless bride if we continue to devalue holiness. Like, how are we ever going to become that if we don't understand He's a holy God? Right? So listen, I know this might be a bit heavy and it's, and it's intended to be so, but I just want to ask you today, man, when is the last time that you've actually cried over your sin? Like, when is the last time that, that you actually found yourself at an altar, if it's at a church or if it's uh, at your house, whatever, and you actually wept and you were broken over the sin in your life? Like, when is the last time that we actually said, you know what, uh, I come to the realization that the things that I've done, that I'm treating things so flippantly, that guess what, those are the very things that nailed Jesus to the cross. Guys, I'm going to shoot straight with you, and, and today it's not really about the Church of America. I'm not responsible for that church, okay? Uh, but I do have a responsibility to you, okay? And it's this, that I think as a church, man, I think, I'm afraid that we're way off in this. Right, like we are missing this point by a mile. So much so, I would say this, I'm not even sure if we, if we really recognize how much we need an outpouring of God's Spirit. And I'm including myself in that. Right, like I'm not even sure if, the, if we even understand how desperate we are for a move of God. And, and this may sound weird, but man, for like the last month, month and a half, I, I've literally been asking God to give, not just me, but to give us, every one of you, God, would you grant us with the gift of repentance? God, would you grant us a gift of repentance? Why? Because I realize, because I've, I've studied enough church history, I've studied uh, you know, enough revivals in the past to understand that repentance is actually the key that unlocks the move of God. Yeah, I've got to be honest with you, I have never read about a move of God that repentance wasn't the catalyst. Are you all awake? Let me give you something today, because I want to give you two signs, um, at least in my opinion, 
uh, of, of what we can maybe look at and figure out, have we become desensitized to sin? Okay, because I think we're there, right? And if I would say this, the first one, which is really obvious, uh, you know, so I'm not really going to mention, it's not really one of my two, but it's this. If you know that you're blatantly doing some things that are wrong, and you know in your heart that's wrong, and you keep doing it, uh, man, you know, shame on you. Right? That, that's obvious that you've become desensitized. That, that's obvious that you in your own heart have settled that what is evil is now good for you. Okay? And that's wrong. Right? So, but, but here's the two things I want to tell you as far as being desensitized to sin. How do we know? Number one, first sign, is when we start treating the subjects of, like this, of sin, of repentance, and forgiveness flippantly. Meaning that we have this attitude, and I'm telling you who's the most guilty, is those who know who they are in Christ, and those who understand the unconditional love of God. They begin to, I would say, come to a place where they begin to be flippant, and they begin to say things like this. Well, all I really have to do is throw up a quick prayer and tell God, God, I'm sorry, right? And all is well. And I want you to know today that no gang all is not well. Right? And, and here's why. Because if I can somehow throw up that flippant prayer and I just keep doing what I was doing, I just throw up another prayer, keep doing what I'm doing, just throw up another prayer, man, I have missed what true repentance is. Because when I read my Bible and I see in Hebrews chapter 6 and I see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, there's this key thing about repentance. It's this, that we actually turn from our wicked ways or there are actions that we're doing and we actually turn towards God. So what does that mean? That if my repentance somehow hasn't caused me to turn away from sin and created a greater intimacy with God between me and Him, right? Then I really doubt if we really genuinely repented. All we did was this, is we had a worldly sorrow, what it says in Corinthians, and we felt bad about it, and so there's regret in our hearts, and so we say, God, please forgive me, whatever, and we go and we get rid of that regret, and then we just keep doing what we're doing. No, 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 no. There's a place of brokenness. And healing that needs to happen where we begin to have God's view on the thing that we were doing. Yes. Amen? Amen? The second thing that I think, or the second sign that we have maybe desensitized, we become desensitized to our sin, would be this. is actually when we start categorizing our sin, please don't miss this, not only comparison to others, but even to our own past. You see, when we start thinking things like, uh, that wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, uh, after all, I could be doing, uh, you know, what that guy is doing over there or that gal's doing over there. Or worse off, it's this. At least I'm not doing the things I used to do anymore. I'm practically a saint compared to that guy. I've heard so many people say that. And you got to understand that, listen, y'all please hear me. There's things that convict me now in the Lord that I repent of now that, you know, it never even crossed my mind 15 years ago, right? Because I've become so much closer to Jesus. There's things now that, I mean, he didn't even deal with it. If he would have dealt with it back then, it would have killed me. He's a refiner's fire. He didn't destroy me. But he says, you know, I'm going to keep purifying you, right? He who begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. The refining process doesn't stop. And so there's things now that convict me that probably would have never convicted, uh, you know, somebody two, three, four, five years old, even 10 years old in the Lord. But there's things that break my heart now that guess what? Because God's like, you know what? You've come this far. Why are you going to go back? Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. In other words, let me say there's a greater sense of holiness in my heart. Right? My eyes, uh, you know, long to be pure. But let me, let me maybe flip something actually on somebody. I feel like I need to say this. Because there's somebody in this room today that, guess what? You used to really be holy. 
You really watched your eyes, you watched your ears, you watched your mouth, you watched your heart, you watched your attitudes. You were really quick to repent. And now you feel like you've become so mature in the Lord, oh, those things aren't that big a deal anymore. It's okay, I'm covered by grace. Can I say this? You need to take note of how far you've fallen. You haven't fallen forward. Yes? So, so listen, when it comes to this categorizing of sin, and I'm not beating you up today. I hope you're not hearing it that way. But, but I want us to hear something because um, I want to hear in light of this. This week I was reading a book by Bob Sorge called Secrets to the Secret Place. Incredible book. But he said this in the book, and I won't run throw it up on the screen because I want you to see it. I want you to make contact with this and put in context of your own heart and your own life. Here's what Bob said. He said, I'm not thinking of repenting from sins like lying, fornication, stealing, cursing, pornography, hatred, drunkenness, or not tithing. Those sins are so obvious that you don't even need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to know you're in disobedience. Let, let that sink in. I know it's strong, but let it sink in. And then he says, God's word regarding those sins is blatantly clear. And then he says this key part, sincerity and a clear conscience doesn't even begin until we deal with these kinds of outward sins. Like, man, you're not even close to having a clear conscience. You're not even clear, right, to have a sincerity of your heart until you've gotten these things removed, until you've worked it out. Then he says this, he says, no, I'm not talking about obvious sins. I'm talking about repenting from our iniquities. Iniquities are the hidden faults that we don't see. The wicked residue of our fallen nature that discolors the fabric of our thoughts, the fabric of our motives, our feelings, our responses, and our desires. Are y'all hearing this? Iniquities are wrapped up in much more subtle areas of sinfulness, such as pride. We all got it. Rebellion. We all got it. Unbelief. We all got it. Right? Envy, selfishness, ambition, and covetousness. And he says this, we all have hidden pockets of iniquity, and we need God's help to see them. This is me included. I'm not throwing rocks at you today. Then he says this, you can't repent of something you don't see, so God will help you see them. That's where the search me, O God, comes in. That's weighty. So, so listen, with those thoughts in mind, it's my prayer for all of us today. It doesn't really matter if you're, if you're a teenager in this room or if you're an adult, okay? My, my prayer for us is that this, is that when we leave this place, we'll find some time, not to throw up a quick prayer to heaven, but no, 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 we'll find time to get alone with God. And, and as the old saints of old would say, to do business with God. Right, And that we would wait upon Him and we would ask Him to please come and to search us. Right, And that we'll actually stay there until His light comes and begins to shine on the dark areas of our heart. Where He really begins to search us and to bring that dross up. Now I want you to realize today, because that was the first part, to understand that when that dross comes up, uh, there's, a, there's a meaning for it to come up. It doesn't just stay there. right? Like God doesn't bring anything up and, and refuse, to, refuse to help you deal with it. And see, that's where the part that the gift of repentance comes in handy. Now, if you want to know what the gift of repentance really does, come back next week because I have time today. I'll tell you next week, okay? But, but I want to understand this. If I can bring this full circle as we prepare to close. 
that I just think maybe after 20 plus years of ministry that I'm finally beginning to understand what Paul told, uh, Apostle Paul actually told the church of Corinthian when he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Tommy, you can come if you'd like in the team. Listen to what he said, because today it's not about beating you up. If you're visiting, you're probably like, dang, this dude is mean. It's not always like this. Okay, but, but, but I feel an urgency and, and, a, and a pull from God because I'm responsible to God to do what's in this verse right here. So y'all, please, I know they're pretty. Just hang with me. One is my wife. She's really pretty. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 11, listen to this. He says, you need to know that God's passion, other versions say God's jealousy, is burning inside me for you. In other words, Paul's saying to that church, that group of believers, man, there's a God's passion is burning inside of me for you. It says, because like a loving father, that's the approach I'm taking with you today. Because like a loving father, I have pledged your hand in marriage to Christ, your true bridegroom. I've also promised that I would present his fiance to him as a pure virgin bride. That's the urgency today. That, that as the pastor of this church, understand that I have a responsibility to come and to teach you the truth, not to tickle your ears, not to water something down, but to go, guys, this is the Bible. This is the day we're living in. We need to take heed to ourselves. Because why? Because I want to see every one of us presented as a pure, spotless bride when that day comes of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for us really quick. And, and I'm asking you today to just... Man, close your eyes, get in your heart for a moment, and, and let's ask God to search us. We didn't have the opportunity to do this, the first two services, but man, this is the benefit of coming to the third, is we actually have time to do business with Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to be courageous today, and I'm going to ask you to actually ask the Lord to search you and know you, instead of justifying yourself and running from the things that He tells you, let's face it, like, let's actually have some brokenness over our sin. Amen. Listen, if you're in this place today and you go, man, I realize that I'm a thousand miles from Jesus. It is a great day to get right with him. Right? If you've never known him, Jesus, I want to know you. If you're backslidden, God, I want to return home. How do you do it? Through repentance. So listen, these guys are going to sing a song uh, that I've asked them to sing. It's a good oldie, okay? And it gets to the heart of what we're talking about today. And I just want you to know the altar is open if you'd like to come. Right? Nobody will come touch you. You can do business with Jesus. If you want to sit in your seat, that's fine too. But whatever you do, man, just block the people out around you and let's do business with him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, today, God, we as mature believers, God, we take what you're saying in your word, God, and we heed ourselves. God, we take it serious. God, we don't want to run from it. We don't want to justify something. Lord, we're asking today, God, according to Psalms of what David wrote, that you would search us and know us, O God. Lord, we're asking today, God, in the name of Jesus, that the fire of the furnace would heat up. God, and that you would begin to reveal to us what's in our heart. God, the things that we've excused, the things we've brushed off, the things that we've said, I'm so mature now, I can do that. Lord, we pray that all those things today will begin to melt, God, all the impurities, all the dross will begin to melt away in your presence because Jesus, the bottom line is we want you and we want to be like you. We want to be holy. We want to be pure. We want to resemble you. And so, Lord, I'm just asking today as we have courage to pray that prayer. Lord, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would come and we begin to speak to every single person in this room and that you would show us the areas that we need to repent of today. Father, we thank you for these things.
Let me give you one last bit of instruction. I'm going to put this mic down. These guys are going to sing. Uh, you are free to go whenever you want to go. You can stay as long as you want to stay. Just do not leave this place without getting right with Him and doing business with Him because He has great things for you in your life. Amen. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious
thank you, Lord, for your word today. As you continue, Lord, to challenge us and to stir us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Lord, let us make that decision, God. Let us choose to be holy as you refine us, Lord. Lord, as you burn out the impurities, God, and make us more and more like you. And God, that we choose it each and every day, Lord, to surrender to you, surrender to your will, to your way. Because, Lord, we trust you and we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.